You tuned in to the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, we'll talk about reading, writing, and journalism programs for people incarcerated in the D.C. jail. But first, today we're checking in with the D.C. Department of Corrections to see how it's managing its two facilities where there were coronavirus outbreaks last spring. And we'll also discuss how the programs and services they offer to inmates from libraries to workshops have been affected by coronavirus. Joining me now is Quincy Booth, Director of the D.C. Department of Corrections. Quincy Booth, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me. Good afternoon. Uh, Quincy Booth, this spring the D.C. jail was the site of a large coronavirus outbreak. Inmates sued the Department of Corrections at the time over conditions, including for not following guidelines to protect inmates from coronavirus. What changes have been put in place to protect inmates and staff since then? Uh, Good morning. Excuse me. Good afternoon again. Uh, So prior to uh, the pandemic, uh, DOC, we had a pandemic influenza plan. We also had a continuum of operations plan as well as emergency response plan. But as you know, with the coronavirus, we was learning as the country also was learning. And so we heavily relied on our partnership with DC Health, as well as the information that was coming out from the CDC. Uh, So to date, what we have done is we continue to educate our staff as well as the residents on COVID-19, the importance of wearing PPE, um, as well as maintaining social distancing. We developed an effective communication plan that was both for the residents as well as the staff on what COVID-19 is and how it has evolved, more so on a weekly basis, as well as we provided opportunities for the staff uh, to express their concerns or any you know, matters that they had as it relates to COVID, as well as doing social distancing town halls with both uh, the residents uh, to get that understanding around COVID. Because like the community, uh, there was concerns and fears that individuals had. And so in order for us to be effective in our communication, it was imperative that we listen uh, to them and develop a plan around that, as well as we uh, enforced social distancing, enhanced our cleaning, as well as offer testing Uh, for both the residents as well as the staff. And so when residents come into our care, uh, when when testing became available uh, by Mayor Bowser that we're grateful for, we were able to do a rapid instant testing as residents came into our care, as well as we placed them on a a unit uh, for a total of 14 days uh, to test them several times to ensure that they are not coming into the facility. And if they are, we're providing uh, high quality uh, care. And one last thing that I'll say, I'm sorry, as it relates to this as well as we single cell where possible um, to ensure that we are mitigating uh, the matter. Well, we're seeing a surge in coronavirus cases in this region. What do the numbers look like in the D.C. jail and central treatment, correctional treatment facility right now? Uh, as of today, we have a total of four positive cases um, and they have all been through intake. And so we've received them over the last week and a half where we've had four individuals come into our care uh, that have tested positive, and they are currently on an isolation unit uh, receiving high quality from our healthcare providers as well as our staff. Uh, there was a push to test all 1,300 inmates last spring. Uh, you may have mentioned this before, but are you testing both staff and inmates regularly now? Uh, yes, sir. And we are providing the guidance from DC Health. So we are testing staff, and staff have the opportunity to take advantage of on site testing as well as the testing that's in the community, as well as their healthcare providers. Uh, but as it relates to the residents, 
uh, when they come into our care, we're providing that testing and we are leaning on DC Health and an epidemiologist that's been detailed to us to um, do point prevalency testing where they see fit. We're talking with Quincy Booth, director of the D.C. Department of Corrections. Quincy Booth, the D.C. Department of Corrections offers different educational programs for incarcerated residents. Can you give us an overview of the overview of the programs you offer and how they've pivoted during the pandemic? Uh, sure, sure. So prior to the pandemic, we were a, a rich community uh, that provided high quality programming as well as college and career readiness. Um, and so, as you know, because we've talked about this in prior you know, interviews where we develop our programs and services based off of the men and women in our care. And so they will educate us on what they see fit and what they find to be important. So from things from parenting classes to journalism classes uh, to college and career uh, readiness. And so we've had a partnership uh, historically with Howard University, American University, Georgetown, uh, University and Georgetown Law School, as well as Ashland University. And so, as you know, prior to the pandemic, majority of our classes were in person, sir. And so to that end, when we had to go into a different posture and enforce the same practices that are out in the community, which are mainly medical stay in place, uh, that restricted our ability to allow visitors into our care, as well as movement in a limited way, because the jail is, is, is constructed in a way that it's, it's small from a real estate space. And so in order to enforce the six feet distance, uh, we have to limit amount of, the amount of people that we have, both as visitors as well as our residents. Uh, so to that end, our deputy director, uh, Camille Williams, uh, as well as deputy director, Amy Lopez, held town hall meetings with both our volunteers that we are grateful for because they still wanted to have a connection and an engagement. And so we did a virtual town hall with both sides, both the education side, as well as the programs and services. And we talked about how we could partner um, in that way. And so several months ago, uh, we laid out a detailed plan with both the education side, as well as the programs and services on how we are going to transition into a virtual platform. And using tablets, of course, but using tablets for learning is not something new in the D.C. jail. Tell us about how they've been used before. That is correct, sir. So prior to uh, this, we had about three to four hundred tablets um, that we uh, deployed to the residents. Uh, and so we were using it with both Ashland as well as mainly um, an opportunity for people to connect from a reading standpoint of, of different, you know, sort of applications on the tablet that provided them opportunities to read, opportunities to address their mental uh, health and behavioral health. Um, as well as um, there were TED Talks, you know, on it that I'll talk about briefly that we're now doing our own version of the TED Talks where residents could, again, listen, learn and become educated at their own pace. And so prior to the pandemic, we had about 300 uh, tablets. Uh, I went to the mayor as well as the city administrator and expressed, given the current posture that we are in, we needed to make sure that we continued our high quality programming because residents will be in their cells longer than they would normally be out of their cells. So to that end, uh, the mayor had made an investment of an additional 1,000 tablets uh, that allowed us to gradually deploy all of the tablets throughout the facility. So right now, we have about 1,200 tablets deployed throughout our facility uh, where individuals are being able to connect and have high-quality uh, programming in a way that they did not necessarily connect before because of the design of the facility.
Okay, joining us now to talk about another program in the D.C. jail called Young Men Emerging is Tyrone Walker, an associate at the Justice Policy Institute and a former mentor in the program. Tyrone Walker, thank you for joining us. Oh, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. You were one of the first mentors in the Young Men Emerging program. Tell us what the program is, who it's for, and how you first got involved. Uh, well, I'll start with how I first got involved. Uh, I was on the uh, the central uh, detention facility side, and I got uh, interviewed by Deputy Director Wanda Patton. She called me out of my cell about 7 o'clock in the morning. I didn't know what what was going on. <laughs> and come to find out, uh, a very good friend of mine, who's, who is also the co-author of the paper, uh, Mr. Joel Cashstone, had put in a good word for me that I would be a, a excellent mentor on the unit. So I got interviewed, and about a week later, I was later placed on the unit. Well, it's my understanding that mentees have access to their mentors 24 hours a day. Why is that important for someone in the program? Well, it's, it's, it's very important for a lot of reasons. But I'll state this one here. A lot, of, a, lot, a lot of mentees who are also emerging adults, because the program is for people who are 18 to 25 years old, a lot of them come from abused homes. A lot of them didn't have father figures. And so to, to have somebody that they can look up to, and we didn't use the word father figure, we just say we were your mentors on the unit. And to be able to talk about the problems that we've already encountered, because we are now grown, and a lot of us had similar experiences. And so a lot of times when you can't see that young folks are really grappling with things in life, they may be ashamed because they may have been sexually molested, you know, they may have been abused uh, physically, emotionally, and all those things. And so they, and so they don't talk about those things until they learn to trust you. And so when they can talk to you at any time of the night, it was just invaluable that the program was set up like that where though, where though they had complete access to us to talk about those things. Anthony sent us an email. I'm a recently released mentor of the Young Men Emerging program. One of the most important groups is Morning Circle, where we sit and rate how we are feeling that day. That's essential to us as mentors because it let us know who's having a rough day and need to converse with. Due to social distancing, we weren't allowed to sit more than five mentees in a group at Young Men Emerging. As for you, Quincy Booth, on your side of things, why did you want to create this program, and do you look to any other programs across the country to help you develop it? Uh, yes, and so uh, as stated a little bit earlier, uh, Mr. Namdi, it's imperative that when you're providing programming to not just do a box-off-the-shelf programming, and so we, we listen uh, with our ears and with our hearts to just ensure that we're providing the appropriate programming. And so we did look across the country. What I will say, as Mr. Walker indicated, this is a unique program that was really customized for the men and men and soon to be evolving to women um, as time progresses uh, around the young men emerging. And the mentor, mentor, mentee, excuse me, mentorship model has been proven to have great results um, and I'll stop right there. Tyrone Walker, a big part a big part of young men emerging is mentorship. And what 
areas do mentors help their mentees? You mentioned a few earlier. I mean, you help them at every area where they're struggling in. You know, my, my favorite saying, you know, I just want to I just want to also give a shout out to uh, the, the co-authors of the paper, Joel Cadstone and Michael Woody. You know, we use, I used to always say that as your mentor, it's my job to help you recognize your talents and your gifts and help you get to the path to achieve them. But it's only one trick to that is that you have to walk the path once I help you there because that's your because those are your goals and aspirations. Um originally Tyrone, only people who were deemed minimum or low risk could join Young Men Emerging, but you and your fellow mentors worked to change that. Why was that important? Well, in that regards we have to give a big shout out to DOC's leadership as uh Director Booth just alluded to you know, they listen not only just with their ears, but with their hearts and their minds. And we felt that, hey, we have a whole lot to offer the people who were going to go inside the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And that was very important for us to all, all the mentors that served on average of 20 years at the time. And most of us had spent at least 15 of those years inside the Federal Bureau of Prisons. So we had a lot of knowledge to give to those individuals who weren't going back inside the community. Okay, we're running out of time in this segment. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about how the D.C. jail is operating during the pandemic and its educational programs. I'm Kojo Nandi. DC is daily. DC is daily. DC is daily. It's news, culture, and curiosities. From the district, Tacoma Park, Alexandria, Friendship Heights, Hyattsville, Falls Church, Northeast Washington, DC, and your inbox every weekday afternoon. DC is daily. Sign up at dcs.com slash newsletter. dcs.com slash newsletter. Welcome back. We're talking about how the D.C. jail is handling the pandemic and about its education programs there. Uh, Quincy Booth is the director of the D.C. Department of Corrections, and Tyrone Walker is an associate at the Justice Policy Institute and a former mentor in the Young Men Emerging Program. Tyrone, you were mentored when you were a young man incarcerated in the D.C. jail. What is it like now being on the other side of that, the one who is mentoring young men? Oh, it's... It's, it's really unbelievable, like to like like to pay it forward and to like give back when, you know, like when I, I, I really needed some help and a man came into my life. And, and during those times, we didn't call them mentors. We just called them old heads. Right? <laughs> and so and like to be one of those people to naturally want to help and like give back is. It has been remarkable. Well, Fazia in Falls Church has something to say to you. Fazia, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. I just want you to know that I love your show. And really quickly, um, I am a mentor with Justice for Juniors. Can you guys hear me? Yes, very well. Yes. Yes. And um, I work with the kids at the YSC in D.C., 
and I'm in Falls Church, and we have a group of mentors from Dara Hijra that go down there. But my my question to you is, it's a wonderful that you do this 24-7 mentorship because it builds trust. And we've been doing the same thing for five years on a part-time basis with the kids in D.C. detention. How can we transfer that, or who are the right people to talk to so that we can start collaborating on something like that for kids that are 13 to 18? Quincy Booth, any answers? Uh, so I think she already has the relationship uh, with URS. I would just probably say it's imperative that she connects with uh, Director Lacey over there as well as the associate directors if she wants to enhance uh, that relationship. But I also know beyond sort of it's the inside aspect, but it's also the outside part where I think it's needed even more is, is more so how do we uh, prevent people from even coming into the system? And oftentimes it's imperative that a mentor uh, shows up in one's life uh, to show them either a different path or just just exposing them to things that I think that is meaningful that we all receive in our lives. And so I would say both the inside of connecting with URS as well as uh, community-based organizations throughout D.C. Um, Tyrone, anything you'd like to add? Yes, I think, uh, I think also connecting, I mean, because she always connected with YSC. So connecting with uh, the, the uh, credible messages model at, at DYRS, then you oh, okay. have East of the River. Then you have East of the River, who's also doing some things. And but like uh, Director Booth mentioned, like it, it's it's really to the, the preventive things. Like we're trying to do more things in the community. So it's a collaborative effort going on around the the YRA here in DC to uh, to uh, implement the strategic plan to bring about these type of things inside the community to, to help folks in the community. Not, not when they get to DC jail or not when they get to the central treatment facility. We want to help them before they get there. And Quincy Booth, we got this email from James who says, I was released from DC jail on May 5th, 2020 during the early stages of the pandemic. I had served 24 years. While at the jail, I was taking advantage of an educational program called C-Tech. I was on my way to completing my third certification when the jail was locked down due to COVID. It was a scary time we were locked down. The teachers and officers were refusing to work. It heightened the alarm of the prisoners. Can you tell us whether or not that program has been resumed at all, Quincy Booth? Uh, so the CTEC program, which is another word for us staying in our STEM uh, program, we are now oh. looking, at, looking at, so that's the easiest way to explain it, so from fiber optic cabling, network bonding, uh, to say the least, but it's it's several certifications uh, that uh, the young man just mentioned. Uh, we are, again, in the posture of looking at how do we do it via the tablet because a lot of it was hands-on. And so we actually had um, equipment uh, there, so from wires to cables uh, to, to some of the uh, tools uh, that we are, again, working with uh, C-Tech just to see if there's ways that we can explore uh, how to do this uh, via the tablet. Uh, but as of right now, it's it's on pause, and we'll keep you uh, updated around that. Tyrone, you now work as an associate for the Justice Policy Institute. That's a nonprofit based here in D.C. You co-authored a report about how the program began and its successes. Did anything surprise you when you were putting together that report? N- no. <laughs> no, it didn't. I mean, it's just some of the things, like, some of the things that's not in the report, like, one, like, if... Like, it was another reason that want to duplicate this model. Like, 
Like, you got to have a relationship with leadership. You know, I can't, I can't say enough about leadership and how they listen to us with their, with their ears and with their hearts. And they, and, they, and they heard us all. You know, I can recall one incident where Director Booth and Deputy Director Warner Patton came and sit down. And they asked us what we want. You know, this is during the early stages of the program and getting it going. And all our mentees, they wanted all this stuff here. And they looked at us and said, uh, we're going to see what we can do. And we looked up everything that they asked for, we, we got. And it, and it showed our mentees how powerful their voices can be when they fix their minds to do the right things. And I'd like to shout out uh, Arnold Ventures for supporting this effort in this report so we can highlight the things that's going on in D.C. and let, you know, and, and let the world see that great things is coming out of this city. Here's Maricia in Washington, D.C. Maricia, your turn. Hello, I was just calling to compliment the work that the Department of Corrections is doing. I think it's amazing that I'm a D.C. resident. I've lived in D.C. all of my life. As D.C. residents, we've all been impacted by the jail, whether we've had family members here, whether some of us may have been in jail at some point in time. So it's very important to hear positivity because I feel like a lot of times we only hear negative and the Thank Department you. of Corrections is a family and it's a home and it's an amazing place to work. And I'm Thank you very much. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. We only have about 30 seconds left, Quincy Booth, but uh, in the next segment, we'll be talking about the program behind a newsletter, Inside Scoop, and the podcast, Inside Voices. What can you tell us about them? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. You said, uh-oh, so sorry about that. The Inside Scoop is an opportunity to hear the voices of the residents, and it's a journalism class uh, that we actually have that's been taught uh, by our staff members to make sure that their voices is heard throughout uh, the jail. Prior to the pandemic, sir, we were using paper copies, but we've now transformed uh, okay. to a, uh, a virtual where now all of the residents are receiving uh, the Inside Scoop that just tells their voices of what their experiences are, all the way down to uh, cooking lessons and opportunities to take care of their wellness um, as okay. people that are not here. Tyrone Walker, Quincy Booth, thank you both for joining us. We've received some comments from the writers of Inside Scoop. Zachary says that writing for Inside Scoop is very fulfilling, providing me a form of mental escape from incarceration, while also allowing me to feel that I'm doing something productive and beneficial with my time. Brainstorming recipes or story ideas, having discussions with my peers on the newsletter and typing out my articles, all provide a sense of normalcy in an altogether abnormal situation. And Coley, who writes behind the writes the wisdom behind the wall column for Inside Scoop says, means a great deal to be able to share the message of hope to a segment of the human population that quite often find themselves in a state of utter homelessness. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk a little more about Inside Scoop and hear questions and comments from people currently incarcerated in the D.C. Department of Correction System. I'm Kojo Nandi.
WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.